0: My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. Welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Angela Salyer with Madame Homes in Tucson, Arizona. Angela, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited to hear more about your story and how you got to where you're at. It's always great to to meet another successful woman in the construction industry, and see, you you know, I'm I'm excited to see you uh, or hear your story about uh, how you became division president over there. But tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into the construction industry.
1: All right. Um, Yes. Thank you again, Ben, for having me on the podcast. Um, It is, it's fun to talk about the history and professional um, experience. I could talk for hours, but I won't. Um, You know, I think I got into this business by accident, really. I can't say that I um, went into kind of my education and my professional career with the idea that I was going to end up in home building. And I think that was just because there was a lack of awareness, much like we deal with Mm -hmm. today still. um, And that was almost 20 years ago. So I really didn't have a lot of knowledge around home building um, and graduated college, started working in radio sales um, for selling airtime, which was not something that I believed in. So I was not good at it Um, and realized that very quickly. So went to a job fair um, outside of college, went back and met um, somebody who is still my friend today, a very close friend, Michelle, who was working for a home builder out in Southern California. I was still in Arizona at the time. And um, you know she she was an incredible salesperson because she tried to convince me that I should get into home building and there was all of this opportunity in home building and I kept saying nope sales isn't for me right because I had this very little experience that uh, had not proven to be advantageous uh, for me or my career growth um, but mm-hmm. long story short um, she sold me on. Taking a look at the opportunity, um, I ended up in Southern California and started my career in home building in sales, and you know continued to grow from there.
0: Awesome. I, you know, it's I love what you just said about you didn't believe in the product, so you weren't sold on it. That's right. And uh-huh. I, at least for me, I mean, I I grew up saying I hate sales, I hate sales, because I didn't believe in the product until now. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm willing to just go sell my product because I believe in, in my homes.
1: Oh. uh you're absolutely right and i think that i i had to learn that and understand that early on because selling something that you know has such an incredible impact on people and families is so different than trying to get a business to advertise certainly there's people that do that and do an incredible job at it
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but it just wasn't right for me
0: so you got into home sales did you have to immediately become a light uh, licensed Realtor, what was just kind of that process?
1: Yes, so um, you know, I worked for Pulte Homes in the beginning of my career, and they had an incredible college recruiting and development platform that they um, used to recruit. This was in kind of the the height of the market. I was working in the strongest performing, um, County in California. And it might've been in the nation at that time. Um, and so it was, it was a very fast paced experience. I did have to get my real estate license, um, in order to successfully move forward in selling homes. And I spent a couple of years doing so. Um, I was, it was a blessing and a curse. I think when I got into the business, because, you know, it was early two thousands and everything was so strong and, you know, we make jokes that we were just taking checks, but in some ways that was the case. You worked really hard yeah. in different ways and learned a different set of skills um, that have continued to be important, but um, it was just a different environment. And so um, I, I was able to kind of capitalize and, and learn a really good foundational skill set for being productive in business, not mm-hmm. sales necessarily, but, you know, the relationship building with, with your your customers, the emotional connections the importance of you know contract contracts and contractual agreements and all of these things that you know early on in careers are so important so um Yes, I I had to kind of get that skill set under my belt um, before I continued on. I did, um, prior to the recession, move on to another uh, public builder. There was a sales management opportunity. So I moved into that. And I would say six months into that opportunity, um, the recession hit. And, you know, everybody's world kind of turned upside down.
0: So when you were, to interrupt real quick, when you were selling in that really busy market, I mean, how many contracts were you writing in a month?
1: Oh, you're making me dust off the archives here, Ben. (laughs) Um, Gosh, I don't know. I just, you know, I'm sure it was in the double digits, but, you know, there was a team. So for me personally, it was was likely in the double digits. But much (laughs) like what we're experiencing today, we kind of Mm -hmm. had to you know, mitigate our risk and, and what the production could actually handle and, you kind know,
0: limit the sales,
1: limit the sales. Yep. So that the rest of the business could keep up.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So then you moved to a sales management position. How long were you doing home sales in California?
1: So I was doing um I in I was I'm pulty doing sales for a couple of years so two to three years, um okay. and made the leap into management with Lennar in LA County, um and like I said the recession hit so it was, if you would have asked me eighteen months ago I would have told you it was the hardest time in home <laughs> building and in my career, yeah but that is not the case anymore. Um, But it was extremely tough, especially being young and, you know, being a female in the business and still trying to kind of finding my place in in this leadership environment and the confidence that is required to do that. Um, I was very lucky. I I had such great support from um, our division president and from other leaders within the organization. Um, And it was a very trying time um if you look back in hindsight it was 2020 it was extremely important to my development and learning the hard things that come along with leadership and home building and business in general right you know yeah. we had to let more than half the sales team go um i was the last manager that was still on on the team um and you know with that comes a whole slew of of learning opportunities especially when you're kind of the one of the younger in in the room um and yep. your your ability and knowledge is being questioned. So, for for me personally, I I can't say that my career would be where it is today if I didn't have to go through kind of the hardships of what that meant personally and professionally. Um, I made it through it. I actually ended up selling, uh, downtown LA, uh, lofts, which was very different than home building. It was a new, it was a new building structure, but it was true lofts. really cool experience. I got my broker's license out in California, um, to go do that and just kind of enhance my knowledge. Um, and then I made my way back to Arizona in a management capacity and, um, have, you know, continued to, to grow through the ranks.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So what what did that journey look like? Did you start again in Arizona as a in a sales management role, and then continue to move up, or how did you?
1: Yeah. So I um, I did. I was in sales and marketing uh, management. I was mar- I was kind of navigating between two of the markets, Phoenix and Tucson, um, and I worked for a really incredible company, Kay Homes, who is now TriPoint. Um, again, I have. I had really great support in leadership and mentorship, um, and didn't really have a desire necessarily to seek out something else. I had young kids. Um, I had a six month old son at that point and a three and a half year old daughter. So life was a little bit busy, you know, to yeah. say the least. Um, and so I wasn't seeking opportunity. I was approached for an opportunity to open the Matami division in Tucson, which was a startup division. Um, I would say that was the second most impactful time in my life. I decided to take yeah. it on. Um, you know, the division president that was here, I had actually worked with in Pulte at Pulte in Southern California. Um, okay. so it kind of came full circle, right? Yeah. This industry is so big yet, so small. And we ended up um partnering. We were the first two individuals to be part of the Matami Tucson team. And over the last six years have grown the division. Um, I can't even articulate properly what that requires, but it was extremely impactful to me um, because it allowed me the opportunity to learn so much more about all of the departments within our business and how they operate, how they work together, and really grasp a better understanding of it all from an operations standpoint. Um, So I think with, you know, this goes back to the, the, saying, you know, high risk, high reward, that's really what it was. I didn't, it was very risky to leave and start this adventure, um, but it's proven to be one of the best decisions I made just because of the knowledge base that I have created and the opportunity that's come along with that. So with over the last five to six years here at Matamy, um I was the director of sales and marketing, um, moved into the vice president of operations and then into the division president over the years. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So when you say it was a startup division, does that mean essentially you're starting a a new business rather than just being kind of a single entrepreneur? You're a team of people that knows what you're doing. And
1: that's yes. So I like this is not an exaggeration. Me and and the division president at the time started the division at his dining room table, and like at the dining, it was just us two. We had to build the team. Um, And the processes and the procedures and best practices that came along with that, because, um, you know, Mattamy Homes, where I am, is an incredible company. And, you know, five to seven years ago, they were still kind of making their way into the U.S. market. It's a Canadian based um, business. And so we had a lot of autonomy on a local level, which Mm -hmm. is extremely generous. And, you know, they had great faith in the local experts executing their business which absolutely you know is the right the right stance to come from what what makes it challenging is unlike some of these public builders and you know a lot about this i'm preaching the choir acquire you know they they hand you a playbook and they tell you what to do right the playbook tells you mm-hmm. how they operate what every part of the business looks like so we really had to create that um and you know there was a lot of blood sweat and tears but an extremely high uh vested interest and it's it's been quite an incredible journey i think the best part that's come out of this is the team that we've built. And we have, you know, a team of soldiers, right? We're all in this together, front lines in the office, wherever we work as a team, we operate as a team. We've all dedicated so much to this. So, um, it's, it's been different in that way, um, in comparison to kind of my previous experience.
0: Yeah. So when you, when you guys were recruited were, were you both recruited? Was he already working for Madame May?
1: He was recruited. Yes. to, to lead the division. Okay. And then, yeah, he recruited me. Yes.
0: And just started on the a, dining room table like any it. other startup business.
1: That's right. That's mm-hmm. yeah, incredible. Yeah. But, you know, but I imagine they
0: provided financing. You guys weren't. weren't yeah. That's you. what I
1: was just going to say. Yes. The capital gotcha. was there. Right. Okay. We, just, we just had to execute deploy a deploy a business that could be successful. Okay.
0: Gotcha. So interesting. Cause you think of, you know, we think of these public builders as these massive companies and they, like you said, they just come in and okay, here's the, here's the playbook. Let's go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, I guess what, you know, when they start up, they, they still have to start up.
1: Sometimes. Yes, they do. Yes, yes, they do.
0: <laughs> interesting. So tell me about a little bit about Matame overall. And then tell me about your division, like what, what kind of volume are you guys doing and, and what kind of product do you do?
1: Yeah, so um, Matt me, I'll I'll speak to our U.S. business. Over the last few years, we've kind of more aligned with um, two entities where the Canadian part of the business operates, how the Canadian part of the business is familiar with operating. And then we're more aligned with and becoming more aligned with operations for the U.S. home building markets. Um, okay. We're very much in growth mode as a U.S. market, uh, currently closing about 4,000 units on an annual basis. Wow. Um, and, and we continue to grow that trajectory will increase over the next five years. Um, and in Tucson specifically, you know, I think one of the hardest aspects of building and startup of a new division is land assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure in your situation, you know, just like, in you understand it. You you can appreciate that part of the business, and it takes so long when you consider all of you know the planning, the entitlements, the engineering, everything, the development, everything that goes into getting land ready to sell. You have to be yeah. planning years in advance, and so. You know, initially as a startup, it takes a good three to four years to get a land basis that can Mm -hmm. continue to provide and grow a division. Um, We are now currently at about plus or minus 300 units a year, and we will increase up to about 500 to 600 in the next couple of years of the land basis that we we are um, currently holding. Um, And within our market, that puts us in one of the top three building positions. Um, You know, I think some markets you look at like Phoenix and we're never going to, you know, produce 15,000 permits a year, but increasing our market share within Tucson is really what we're focused on. Um, Mattamy has brought a, a fresh brand and opportunity for Tucson um, home buyers and you know, we're providing, we're still a production builder, but we're trying to provide homes that feel and look a little different and provide, um, a, a, you know, a sense of pride when people come into the communities and they walk into their home.
0: So is, are you guys targeting a specific, like a 55 plus or what's what's your kind of target demographic?
1: So, um, yeah, I would say in, in our marketplace, the demo is you know, 50% active adult or pre-retiree buyer profile. So absolutely, we consider that in all of our projects. Um, Some of our newer projects have really kind of diversified our portfolio in terms of opening up more first-time move-up and second-time move-up family buyers. Um, You know, we don't intend to operate in the first-time buyer market. Um, There's builders here that are doing that and doing that very well. Um, and so we'll let them kind of do that. We're looking more for a move up and uh, retiree kind of forever home buyer.
0: Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little higher end home. Mm-hmm. Definitely not the broad, bottom price point of the market.
1: Yeah. And location is certainly key, right? We're very yeah. particular about location for that same reason.
0: Okay. So were you, have you always been involved in, in the land acquisition and building up that land pipeline? I haven't. you more it. focused on the sales and marketing?
1: Um, you know, I would say more of the operations in the first half of my tenure here at Madameami um, and land acquisition over the last couple of years. okay um, you know, a little bit different from some of the production builders and their operations that it's it's home building and when you really think about what we do, there has to be land development which almost operates as, as its own entity. Um, and here, For us in Tucson and at Mattamy, we really are the land developer in almost all cases and the home builder. So um, it's really for me, I've had to kind of wrap my arms around getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, um, because it's almost a whole new business that you have to learn and that you have to be able to navigate. And, um, you know, the, the sellers and buyers on that side of the business look very different than the sellers and buyers on the home building side of the business. Um, and not in a bad way it's just different so um, yeah it's been it's definitely been a learning opportunity a growth opportunity for me I have an incredible land team so um, they make us all look good yeah they really get the credit but they are teaching me too
0: That's awesome yeah so I know when I started I, I was a superintendent and they moved into purchasing and estimating and you know as as a superintendent originally like i just i only ever wanted to be a superintendent that was my that was my dream job for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And then after a while I started thinking, okay, and now I want to be a project manager, a, a, you know, construction manager. I want to start moving up. And then I look to, you know, what's, what's the highest you can go and division president, right? That's the, that's the old, the big job. That's the, you, you're at the top of the market. So what, what does that position really entail? What does that mean? Um,
1: this is, this is a loaded question because um, I would say, most days it feels like the weight of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in all reality, you know, making sure, number one, we're in the business of, of people management, right? Mm-hmm. And and not when you open it up to kind of a division president role, it's not just of one department, it's of everybody. And then everybody who is in that department. Um, so I think that is one of the things that for me personally is one of the most important aspects. And I, I don't take that lightly. Um, I think our people are our greatest asset. And so making sure that they have a place, you know, a culture where mistakes are okay, but not learning from mistakes isn't okay. You know, with an open door policy, which I know sounds so cliche, but really making sure that our people are, are come first and have a good work environment. We spend so much time together. So that's one thing that, you know, I think, People underestimate the mm-hmm. the commitment and time commitment and uh to that. So, and then you know, I don't take lightly that we're somebody else is investing millions of dollars into this business and ultimately the success of the business is yeah. is mine, right? Um, and the livelihood of our team and their families is mine. So I know that sounds kind of so corny, but it's really true. And I have to stay grounded in that when I'm making decisions and when I'm thinking about how we're operating. Because at the end of the day, all the decisions that I make and that the team make have an incredible domino effect in so many directions. And so um, it, it can be heavy. I am very humble that they you know, have faith in my ability to be successful and we have been very successful and, you know, it's it's certainly not my success. It's our success. It's the team's success. So um, it's, you know, I I think in a more macro level, that's really what it comes down to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The emphasis on people and and leadership. How many people do you employ or does Madame employ in, in your division?
1: we have plus or minus 50. I should know that, but we're on a higher, we are hiring. I just got notice of two new hires today. Um, so yeah, we're right around 50. Um, and again, with our growth over the next couple of years, we'll probably increase to about 75.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. So, um, I imagine, you know, Mattamy probably gets together all the division presidents from across the country and you guys have strategy meetings and stuff. I assume, right? Yes. Is that, is that even somewhat accurate?
1: That is accurate. Yes. Ben. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> so are you a minority still at that level being a female?
1: Yes. And, is, and
0: how do you, does, how do you handle that?
1: Um, so yes, the simple answer is yes. I mean, you can look, look on a zoom call and see that I am a minority, the minority. Um, but it doesn't feel like that. And I think being aligned in the right company with the right culture is why it doesn't feel like that. Um, I can say for, for my company, for example, we have starting from our Canadian headquarters to the US, um, a, an internal women's growth uh, program where we have mentors, both men and women who are mentoring and coaching and sponsoring, you know, highly developable females within our company and our industry to continue to, to kind of bridge that gap. So although today, yes, I think you know it's, it goes without saying it's primarily a male-dominated uh, leadership within our industry, I think that will change over time. I can say in Arizona, we, I was just having this conversation with somebody um, a few weeks ago, there's a handful between Phoenix and Tucson, handful of female division presidents that are, are operating okay. home builders, both public and private. Um, and although that doesn't sound like a lot, when you really sit back and think about it, when I started, you know, 18 plus years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and so I think the business is evolving um, and the opportunities are growing. I think one of the biggest challenges is females having the confidence and courage to kind of take the opportunity and, and own it. Um, and that's why programs that I just mentioned are really important that so we can continue to build and uh, develop young and growing females.
0: That's awesome. Young women looking at career opportunities, what would you say to a, a young girl or maybe a graduating senior evaluating, Hey, should I look at a career in construction?
1: So I think that's a, that's a very, that's a great question. I would say that for males or females right now that, um, you know, there's definitely not enough awareness about it. I would say I had such an incredible mentor early on in my career who said something that was so simple, but so profound to me and has really impacted me both professionally and personally. And, and it was in this kind of trying time where a decision had to be made. And and she just said so simply be bold and be brave and don't let fear paralyze you. And it was like, okay, it sounds so simple, but it wasn't. I can't tell you how many times I have repeated that, how many times I think about it, because I think for anybody considering something that's outside of the norm, being bold, being brave, and and really the fear of the unknown can paralyze many people in many decisions. And so I think if I kept it as simple as possible, I would say that.
0: Awesome. I love it. Mm -hmm. And I I agree with you completely. There's not enough awareness between men, women, whatever. We just, there's so much opportunity in the construction industry and we need, we just need more young people, every, every color, every gender, everybody.
1: That's, uh, there's no question. And, you know, we work with our Home Builders Association here locally to try to get more awareness and have, you know, construction days. And I think you and I talked about this too. Yeah. Um, and really being able to kind of get the knowledge out there, you can make a really incredible living. You can have a lot of pride in, in what you're doing and it's just, there's not enough awareness.
0: Absolutely. So I imagine in, in division president circles, you're also probably somewhat of a minority for your age because you're pretty young. I I would assume a lot of the division presidents nationally are quite a bit older than than you. How do you kind of handle that with being younger, but still having that same position, responsibility and authority?
1: Um, <laughs> I struggle with that every day. In all transparency, I I think the combination of you know age bracket and and being a female are something that I'm prob- I probably critique myself. I know I critique myself more than probably everybody else does or the majority of people do um, because I do feel like I have an extra layer of res- accountability. Um, I feel like I constantly have something to prove right like I need to make sure that I'm proving my worth and that I have the knowledge and the wisdom and that I can figure it all out. I will say, I think that something has worked, something that has worked in my favor with the leadership that I've worked with over the last handful of years is that not having the traditional mindset around what home building is and should be has been advantageous for me. And so I've had to kind of understand and accept that. It's okay to push back or have suggestions that are outside of the norm because, I, in my experience, they haven't been shut down. Right. Like, certainly, if you're going to be comfortable having open dialogue and discussions and suggestions about our business, not everything is going to work. Right. Yeah. But getting the affirmation that, okay, just because we didn't do it like this for the last 20 years doesn't mean it's not going to work. Let's give it a shot. Prove to me why, how, and you know what it looks like and, and let's give it a shot. And I think that for me, I've been very lucky in that regard because, and, and, you know, part of that's being with a privately held company and the leadership that I've had specifically, but they've, they've accepted that in a lot of ways, welcomed it and whether or not others were doing the same, um, I haven't operated as a yes sir yes ma'am type of leader, right? I've I've mm-hmm. operated as you put me in this position, you made me the market expert. I I'm confident in being the market expert, and so I just need to be comfortable in that space. Not I I can't assume that I'm what you want to hear is what I should say. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I in all honesty and transparency about ba- I battle with it every day. Like, and I yeah. think most leaders do or should, because if we're that comfortable, then, you know, things can get away from us. But um, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's a different, it's a different angle that I have to take.
0: I appreciate that, that honesty and transparency. That's uh, always helpful. Yeah. What do you see kind of transitioning the conversation a little bit into more of a macro construction industry? What do you see are some of the, the biggest challenges and or opportunities facing our industry right now?
1: Oh, the challenges. Um, you know, I mentioned the recession. I used to say that would be that was the hardest time in my career. But mm-hmm. I, I've told people over the last couple of months. You know, at least then we just had to get, have the the product built. We had to price it right, and we had to have the right promotion, and we'd get people through the door. We could sell homes, right? Mm-hmm. If you really simplify what it was, we could still operate. Um, today, you know, I think the. Material and labor scarcity is is obviously the biggest issue and one that's much harder for us to solve internally. So I know you know that and everybody knows that. So I, I won't spend a lot of time on that. I think one of the biggest things that's going to change now And should continue to evolve and change over the next 10 to 15 years is kind of changing our mindset around what we do and not thinking about how we sell homes, but rather the the service, the customer service part of what we do, because ultimately, even when you're selling a home and I air quote that what you're doing is solving somebody's problem, right? Like ultimately somebody's looking for a new home for a reason and Mm -hmm. understanding what that is, building relationships and problem solving for them. Really, you're not trying to sell them something. You're trying to solve a problem for them, which is a service that we provide. And then the service is continued throughout the production of the home and warranty and, you know, the community build outs, all of these things. So I think being able to shift kind of the mindset about what we're doing and what we're offering um, is certainly a big opportunity for us. And I I also think best practices um, need to be evaluated and refined. You know, I think we've operated in autopilot for far too long Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of things that we did pre pandemic that we shouldn't assume are relevant or the best way to operate today. Um, so I certainly think that's that's one of the areas that we need to continue to be open to and although hard I think change is hard right change is always yeah. hard it's one of the hardest things for most people and everything today is changing by the you know day hour minute it seems like yeah. um so getting comfortable with the change and being comfortable with then enforcing productive change as a result if that makes any sense. Yeah. So um, I think there's also opportunity for both our internal and external customer relations. Um, I think there's been an imbalance depending on what the market conditions are between builders and vendors. And I think we all need to look at an equal playing field, no matter what the market conditions. Um, And I think that would make us be a lot more successful and, and in turn, be able to provide a better customer experience. So
0: so, what are the some of the things that you feel like will, will changes that we've made that will remain in place after after COVID's over, if that's even a thing?
1: Yeah, if it if it's a thing, yeah, yeah, um, it better be. The social butterfly in me is dying a slow death. Um, yeah. I would say I think there's I actually think there's a lot of things that have come out of COVID as a positive. I think for what you and I do, Ben, people kind of revisiting and understanding how important a home is. Mm -hmm. is something that I think we took for granted. If you think pre-recession, I remember being, you know, I was new in the market. I was in California and it was like nothing to buy and sell a home. And, you know, it was all these kind of false expectations around what home ownership really meant. And -hmm. there wasn't a ton of emotional connectivity to it. It was more of an investment. It just felt different. And I think- Getting back to kind of home is where the heart is, you know, sentiment is something that's an extreme positive coming out of this. Um, I think being open to virtual connection. Just like you and I are doing. I mean, the mm-hmm. amount of time I think you you mentioned, you know, division president meetings and business strategy meetings and, you know, everybody's flying all over the nation to meet for days to do this. And yeah. it's not the most efficient way to operate. Certainly face to face time. Uh, there's certain things that I think you have to do face to face to be the most productive, but yeah. we can hop on a call for an hour and save everybody, you know, for a day, hop on for a day and save everybody—you know—two days of travel, um, and save the monetary resources. So I think, I think that's it. I think it's made it easier for buyers. I think the visual um, enhancements to buying a home virtually are, are huge and will continue to get better. Um, much like you can kind of build a car, right? You can build mm-hmm. your car and order it on online. Yeah, I've been saying for years, we should be able to do that. We're not there yet. But I think people will be more open to it at this point. And there's more, you know, 3D walkthroughs and all these things that are available that get people more comfortable with purchasing a home. So I I do think there's definitely some positives that have come out of it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is that uh, being able to completely sell a home online? Is that something that Madame is kind of pushing for and, and trying to make that a reality?
1: Not necessarily, but certainly to make it a better and easier experience, I can say, you know, for us, we've had buyers that have purchased a home site unseen from the East Coast, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think that's going to be the majority of our buyers in the near near future? No. Um, But having the opportunity and the tools available, I think is critical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Well, um, Angela, what is some of the best advice that you've ever received professionally? <laughs>
1: um, there's so many. I feel so lucky because you know there hasn't been one person per se um, that has kind of been a leader and mentor to me. There's there's been multiple. Um, but I think understanding that there's always something to learn and you. You want to hire people to take your your position is something that was really valuable to me learning that early on. Um, I think from a competitive standpoint, you, you hear that and you're like, "Whoa, why do I want somebody to take my job? Right. I don't want to hire somebody so good. They take my job and you know, I, I don't want to be, you know, I want to be the smartest person in the room. And really I say all the time, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. The whole point is that we're we're collectively, you know, working together and I'm learning and everybody's learning from each other. Um, so I think that concept was something early on that I I kind of got comfortable with. Um, and I, I think this one, I always try to, when I'm in a place of, you know, fear paralyzing me, I think it was Wayne Gretzky, but he said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. And it, it goes back to that, you know, high risk, high reward and, and just be bold. And so I think, I guess, I guess talking through this, it all kind of goes back to that, just the confidence of making confidence in yourself mm-hmm. um, and being brave enough to, to take a leap.
0: Love it. Who have you learned the most from throughout your career?
1: I would say that that is, that's definitely a loaded question, but I would, I would say, um, and I'll use today as we sit in this current, you know, uncharted water territory um, Mm -hmm. it's, I learned the most from my team. I think it's so easy to, for all of us to get stuck in our, our silos and what is affecting us seems like the most important and the most impactful and the most, you know, some days the best and the worst case scenarios and collaborating with the team and understanding where everybody's at to make sure our business operates better is probably the most important. And I would say what I learned from the
0: most. Yeah. The ability to to learn from, from your team and from people that are working quote unquote underneath you is that's, what, yeah. that's huge. So it yeah. speaks a lot to your leadership and, um, uh, who you are as a person. Well, so look, I can't do
1: it without them. So, you yeah, know, yeah, I'm better listen.
0: Well, Angela, if you could go back in time to your first day, sitting in a model home, selling new homes in Southern California, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Oh,
1: know what you love and love what you do. And okay. I think, I think it is so hard for kids, kids, I'm going to say kids. Cause like when we graduate, you know, college, we're still so young and yeah. in, the, in the infant stages of our career. And I think it's really hard to evaluate what you love and what your passion is behind a career. Um, much like I told you, you know, I, I knew early on that what I started doing wasn't actually what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and so not getting stuck in the rut, um, but knowing what you love and then loving what you do, I don't wake up ever. And I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I do not wake up with the thought of, Oh, I have to go to work. I don't. Right. And I feel like everybody should feel like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's probably what it would be. Yeah. Yeah,
0: That's great. Know what you love and love what you do. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, Angela, how can people get a hold of you and and find out more about you and, and
1: Madame Homes? So um is the best resource for kind of all of our markets across the nation. Um myself, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh Angela with a J. So that's key A-N-J E-L-A S-A-L-Y-E-R. Um, and my contact information is there. So that's the easiest way to kind of connect. And I, I would love to. I, you know what, It's just like meeting you, Ben, I love the connection of our industry. It's so big yet so small and yeah. being able to network and have connections and people to bounce things off of, um, is critical to our success and sometimes, you know, our mental stability. Yeah. Right?
0: <laughs> yep. That social butterfly needs to come out.
1: Yes. Yes. That's right. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Angela. Really appreciate it. I've enjoyed speaking with you
1: likewise thank you so much ben i appreciate it i wish you guys all the best
0: thank you thanks for listening i hope that you've learned something from our guests today the ben beard show is sponsored by redcliffe homes the purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in if you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction i'd love to hear it Please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The ben Beard Show.